Uh, we are on live. Welcome, everybody, to episode 11 of this humble little Zoomcast we've been doing right throughout lockdown. I'm Matt Grimmer, and today, geez, the guests just keep getting better and better. I've got one of Melbourne's best in the buyer's advocate game. I speak, of course, of good friend and industry colleague, Kate Bacos. Kate, welcome. I'm so humbled. That's the coolest intro ever. Thank you. <laughs> I think the, uh, the DJ drop was... Uh, uh, via that app Fiverr, which uh, I haven't heard oh, of, but uh, that's a beauty, that. Yeah, it is. How are you? I'm good. I'm actually happily exhausted. I've had two almost back-to-back -back days now of crazy inspections. How happy are we? Though? I've never been so happy to be so busy. It's amazing, isn't it? I was a little uh, apprehensive. I only asked you to do this a couple of days ago, and I thought, geez, uh, given how busy everybody's immediately going to become, I might have bitten off more than I can chew to get you on here uh, on a Tuesday night, but I appreciate you giving us some time and jumping on. Oh, wrapped to be on board. I'm really touched. <laughs> now, um, uh, you're right, Kate. The real estate uh, industry was absolutely rejoicing uh, on Sunday. Now, the man himself didn't mention real estate no. uh, in, in any facet, but then we quickly trawled through all of the alerts that were popping through various media organisations, and we were quick to learn that private one-on-one -on -one buyer inspections are back. And uh, yes. you've never seen an industry happier to, uh, to get back on the road. Yeah, very true. So Sunday was strange. I was, I was sitting there watching. I, you know, you put everyone else on hold. Wait, wait, Dan's coming on. And we're listening to every single word. And when we got towards the end of it and then he threw on the health guys, I was like, you are joking. <laughs> we're all a bit grumpy and the texts were flying. And, and then I had a phone call from a journo and they said, oh, you know, it's not good. What do you think this means? And, oh, no, wait, wait, wait a minute. We've got a press release. And I said, I don't believe you. Send it through. And she texted it. And... Um, that, that thing obviously went viral between all of us very quickly, the press release, because, yeah, they, they didn't say the words at all on telly and we, we were allowed our one-on-ones again and a lot of people have been, you know, pushing really hard and um, hounding um, our minister's office for a long time and it's been a very painful wait for, for vendors and buyers in particular. So, yeah, it's not just the real estate agents that have been um, celebrating about it all because you know we've had um, clients that have, have been pretty stressed as well yeah yeah there, there's um there's two types of buyers there's what you might call the aspirational buyer that might see some value in the market and want to take advantage of that and we get that but we were we as an industry i think uh, hand on heart we're wanting to open the doors to those that actually needed to buy or sell or move um yeah. there are a lot of people that had sold a piece of real estate and were getting quite antsy or nervous that uh, I'm going to be stuck. I don't know where I'm going to go next. I can't see yeah. uh, what the next step looks like because of this lockdown. And it created a lot of stress. And, um, you know, fingers crossed the uh, the valve's been released, so to speak, and uh, people can start uh, getting out there and looking at, at property and, and making, yeah. uh, making some property decisions. Yeah, so true. Because relying on a video and making even a rental decision, you know, it's generally a 12-month fixed lease that someone would sign up for. No one wants to go into that thinking I might just break the lease. That's, you know, a lot of expense and frustration and double moving, if nothing else. So, yeah, this is very welcome news. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't know about you, Kate, but a lot, of our, a lot of our information seemed to alter and change until we had some absolute finality from 
the REIV, we, we heard uh, initial whispers that um, uh, stylists and uh, furniture removalists and what have you couldn't get access to property. And then we were, we were quick to learn that that may still be able to happen uh, as, the, as the days and weeks progress. So um, new, you'll start to see a lot of new listings come onto the market. I've already seen it. I, uh, I relaunched a property on Sunday night once I heard the good news and I was top billing uh, in Elwood uh, for an apartment. And then I looked again on Monday and I was ninth in the order. Wow. So you, you, get, you get to see the volume that's coming back onto the market yep. pretty quickly. And, uh, and that's going to be a good thing for, for those looking to buy and sell. Yeah, definitely. And I've got agents that obviously have vendors who are quite anxious to get their property marketed. And with the queues and the delays for um, floor plans and photographs and getting it online, they're, they're not mucking around. They're just sending us listing um, schedules and, and all of the, the, the forthcoming auctions. So we call those pre-markets. They're not off-market because they are coming to market. Yeah. We're just getting a bit of a... Um, and insiders look at it early and there's a lot we've, we've got all of that spring volume that we're expecting we're all put on hold for 10 weeks and so we'd expect to see it banking up and coming back on definitely definitely and i think kate uh, and uh, i'll get your take on your expectation for the balance of 2020 but i can only only assume from a marshall white perspective our perspective that geez it's going to be head down bum up uh, mm. almost until christmas lunch i reckon and then perhaps uh, January might even be a different month in uh, in 2021, given uh, travel restrictions and uh, and people still needing to uh, to buy and sell real estate. So, I think we're up for uh, for a busy couple of months. That's for sure. Yeah, you raise a really great point um, with one on one inspections. What could ordinarily be done in half an hour? Let's say you have you know what it's like. You've got a really good um, campaign going, and you might have your first open and. A really popular property when you've got no limitations on people through the door, really good campaign, could pull anything in excess of 30 groups. I mean, that, that's a stellar number, but it's not off the dial. Yeah. And I've heard agents talk about 40-something groups. Now, even if you've got 20 groups, if they're now 15 minutes apart, 20 groups, that's five hours worth of inspecting for an agent to, to stand there at the door and, and take what would normally be just a half an hour's task the volumes that we're dealing with in terms of um, just inspection segments um, are huge, yeah. absolutely huge. And I'm saying to all of our buyers, up your appointments, but you be on time, make sure, mask, you're ready to go, you're in and out, 10 minutes, take your notes. It's, we all have to be so regimented now to get the most out of this. And there's no time for checking out stuff that you're half-hearted about or that you're not really keen on but let's just have a squeeze there's none of that agents haven't got time for it and neither of buyers they've got a finite amount of time to to really go and see property i've never seen anything like it it's it's been quite mad and i i think we we will be like this working long hours i, I know some agents that are you know 7 30 to 7 30 i certainly have been <laughs> when that changes and we're allowed to have inspections open for inspections again the way that they did it last time was a restricted number of people inside a property at any one time so we have to be prepared for that so we'll still have you know phase one and phase two where people are standing outside waiting to be the second group of 10 etc yeah. and i think you're right i do think that we will be trading in our january holidays and doing a bit of real estate instead yeah yeah 
Uh, well said, Kate. Uh, there, there are plenty of people that know you and, and, and know uh, uh, if you tune into a, a Channel 7 or a Channel 9 News uh, on a Saturday afternoon, you might see a Kate yeah. on Sky News. Uh, <laughs> I wish. If you're an avid podcast listener, Kate's got her own podcast, which is an absolute beauty, which I'll get you to plug in a sec, Kate. Talk me through your journey through the ranks, through to what you actually do day to day today. There are a lot of people, of course, and understand what a buyer's advocate does and, and what their role is. And there'd be a lot of people that uh, may have heard of the term, but may not have necessarily um, engaged one in the past or, or have used one in the past. Um, give me, uh, give me the, uh, the full story, Kate. Where did it all begin? Wow. Uh, it all began, I had a fascination with property when I should have been studying chemistry. Yeah. I did an honours degree um, at Monash and finished in 1996. And I remember in my final year, uh, I was meant to be working in the lab and I did air sensitive chemistry. So it was all very controlled and fume hoods and all that kind of stuff. And I, I was in the lab doing my work, but I was also tracking auction results and checking out locations and um, avidly saving my first deposit because I was, I bought my first property when I was young. So there was a fascination and for me, it represented choice and freedom. And uh, I just love the but there's, there's an art and a science to it. So there's lots of things that can't be governed by rules and science. And there's, there's lots of things, you know, that, that are all about understanding human behaviour and emotions. And then, as you know, there's some things you just can't explain. You can never replicate an auction and get the same result. Whereas in chemistry, you replicate your experiment. You're meant to get the same result. And once you can, once you can get a consistent result, you know you've got the right formula, you've designed you know, the, the right um, outcome, but yep. in property, you can never do that. You could auction a property on Saturday, you could delay the auction and auction it on Sunday. And while that's not something that you can run twice, you could get a different result. Yep. You can just never, never know. So they're the things I love about it, the unpredictability, but also its ability to be analysed. So I, I finished my chemistry degree. I went into industry. I was a chemist, honestly. Your heart's got to be in something to be good at it. And I absolutely loved property and I was probably a bit shy early on so the idea of going into property sales in my early 20s would have just been too much for me to, to bear yep. but I went into property in my late 20s and I started in Sandringham and worked with a lovely team I had a great boss and all of the people in the office were guys so I was the only girl and I was the youngest and I learnt a lot and I, I learnt how vendors emotions ride that roller coaster and I learned a lot about buyer behavior uh, and about the skill that has to be exercised to to have things running smoothly and professionally sure. but you can never ever you know plug a vendor or a buyer's emotions into into a grid and expect that they'll be you know at this position at this time in the campaign because everyone's different everyone has their own things that terrify them and agitate them so that was one thing I loved about property. And when I had my little girl, when she was on the way, I knew that I couldn't keep working in the industry because as you know, it's all the time. It's around the clock, <laughs> seven days a week. You're always on, you're always on. And I wanted to um, focus on being a mama and I did mortgage broking. So for four and a half years, I was, I was a mortgage broker. And I chose that because I knew I could have a degree of flexibility and still stay really close to residential property 
and still have clients and still guide people, which is what I love. Yep. And so that was great. And it was one of the hardest jobs I've had. It was a very, very good apprenticeship. I worked through the GFC. I learned to deliver bad news, which is a horrible thing, but I had to master that and, and work out a way to sensitively deliver bad news and try and work around solutions or, or have someone accept, you know, that that's, we've, we've looked at every single option and, and that is it. So now we've got to look at what we've got and make the best decisions we can. And I think that equipped me to be a pretty good advocate, um, particularly understanding cash flow, um, lending policy, tax deductibility, loan structuring, um, and just how banks look at property as well. Banks don't just look at people, they look at property. And I learnt all about the assets that banks say no to or ask 50 billion questions about. And by the time Gab started Kinder, I was busting to get back into real estate. And I knew that I had more confidence and more skill and a better ability to, to talk to investors and to be in a, a, a role that guided people through property. And I really did love working with buyers. So the rest is history. I had to think up the perfect role for me and it was representing buyers and guiding investors on a journey. And 11 years later, here we are. Unbelievable. Kate, um, there's, there's a fair bit to unpack in that. So um, I might touch on your, uh, your career as an estate agent uh, first. So, so how, long, how long were you an estate agent for and what was your Just, role day to day? Um, I, I was working in a real estate office as an agent for two years and my my role was to look after vendors, so yeah. to to list and sell property. I wasn't I didn't start as an assistant. Yes. Um, and that that was daunting. I remember my yeah. boss saying, Well, you know, you're a smart girl, you have the passion for it, you know what you're doing, we're here to help you. Yeah. But here's your desk, where's your phone? That that was kind of how it went. And yeah. I loved it. I, I got to meet some amazing people and uh, it, it can be a very hard role. For anyone who thinks real estate's easy, they're, they're, they're kidding themselves. It's a very challenging role and sometimes mentally and emotionally it can be a bit of a devastating role because you and I both know people can assume the worst or think that you're just there to flog a property or that you're not trustworthy and that, that's really hard for someone who runs on trust. Yeah, a lot of real estate agents just want to be liked. It's a people business. You wouldn't go into it if you didn't love the idea of hanging out with people all day. Yeah. So when someone brushes you off at the door or doesn't want to take your phone call or is dismissive or rude to you or, or lumps you into a category because they've had a bad experience and been burnt by an agent in the past, I actually really, I really struggled with that, Matt. I found that lack of respect and that willingness to judge you before getting to know you really hard. And we're in a service industry. And I guess it's up to anyone who goes into a service industry to prove that they can serve their customers well, but you've got to be given a chance. Yeah, hundred percent. Well said, well said, Kate. There'll be a lot of agents that'll be tuning into this that will just be nodding along saying, yeah, we, uh, we understand uh, that perspective. There's plenty of good, but you're probably starting from a low base in terms of a level of trust or, or an opinion of the profession. And then it's only once you've dealt with somebody and had a positive experience, which happens eight or nine times out of 10 in, in my yeah. time, um, that people go, oh, he's, he's actually, he or she are actually a good person. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, they're a family person or, or they're trying to do the best by, uh, by, uh, by that particular client at that particular time. And um, I think the experience tends to help with the reputation of the industry. But until you have the experience, 
you might have heard from a friend's of a friend's uncle and, uh, and might have a different, uh, a different view on the world. Um, Kate, I asked uh, the question about what you did uh, as an estate agent day to day because I was wondering whether there was a specific uh, affinity with the buyer side of real estate that's led you to become uh, so bloody good at what you do. So um, you essentially, as, uh, as the owner of Kate Bacos Property and, uh, and the principal buyer's advocate, help people uh, buy pieces of real estate. It's, it yeah. doesn't get much more complicated than that on no. the surface, but there's a lot of layers uh, underneath it, isn't there? Yeah, there's heaps of layers. And, you know, you're advising them um, on, on a, a technical result. You're paying attention to what their, their roadblocks might be as well. Um, and people come to a buyer's agent for a variety of reasons. There's like a top five. The first one, everyone assumes they're time poor. So you're dealing with, you know, some high court judge or a surgeon or someone who has no time. That's, that's not the, the main driver or the main reason for people to come to people like me. Um, typically, people are terrified about stuffing it up. And it's a lot of money. And stamp duty is expensive if you need to reverse a bad decision. So that enormous um, fear of making a huge financial mistake is a very strong reason why people will come to an advocate. Uh, they might come to me because they're really reluctant to deal with real estate agents. And that might be a perception that agents are just there to rip them off or to lie to them. Sure. Or it might be that they've had a bad experience. Or it could just be that they know they're out of their depth from a negotiation point of view. And nobody would disagree with that. I mean, agents are some of the finest negotiators you'll get. They're doing it day in, day out with you know, enormous sums of money. And the good ones, the senior ones, my goodness, uh, they would give anyone a challenge. So when a buyer comes to me and says, well, I want someone who understand, understands the game, the jargon, um, the fair price to pay, that's another reason why people come to me. So they, they just want to rely on my insight and expertise and ability to conduct comparable sales analysis and get it right. Yeah. There, there are so many reasons why yeah. sometimes there's lots of stakeholders and they just want to take out, you know, be a bit impartial about it or, or take out the influences that they're getting from the backseat of the car. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to unpack two of those, Kate. So the first one is the justification process. So we think uh, it's a good house. We like this street. We like this location but hey, we've never lived in this suburb before. We don't really know. We're moving because we're going to expand our family or be closer to work now or whatever the case may be. Um, I need someone to justify that my decision is correct. So let's go to a professional that does this day in, day out from a buying perspective and get, uh, get their take on it as to, uh, to ascertain whether I'm making the right decision or not. So I get that justification factor for sure. What about, and I'm sure you have them because they, they exist in every industry, but what about the person that thinks I'm going to employ an advocate because an advocate's going to get me the deal of the century. They're going to uh, sniff out the off-market opportunity that no one's heard about. They're going to find me the, uh, the needle in a haystack. What about that buyer? I can do needle in a haystack. Yep. I know how to do that. I know who to ask and how to gear them up to be super, super patient. Yep. And you and I both know, because I, I had a needle in a haystack brief, I knew it was out there, because this will take a while. The elements that you want exist, but that type of property, its frequency on the market would be one to two times a year. So that means, you know, on the balance of averages, we're probably working together for at least six months, but probably a year. That's a long assignment. They were beautiful clients. I was happy to do it. And you and your buddy found us the property, um, which was very special. But 
those we can do. The discount, the bargain, they're the wrong questions to ask an advocate. Yep. So my goal is to get the best property for the client that matches their brief. Sometimes it will uh, surprise them in a really fantastic way. If I can get them a discount on the appraised value, that's an even bigger tick. That's yep. awesome. And that's the holy grail. We, we always want to do that. And depending on the time of the market timing, um, market forces, the vendor's position, the agent, the agent's skill, the agent's willingness to push hard, all of those things can, can create a situation where I might buy at a discount. But going for a property or choosing an advocate because of only a discount, that's a terrible idea. And I, I all the time, if you want a bargain, I can absolutely find you a bargain. I could get you a, a bargain price on something and really push it down. But it might be a really undesirable property that has no um, limited sale prospects and, and hindered growth prospects. And that's, that's not the holy grail. That's a terrible idea. Yeah. So the, the idea is making sure that you hold them accountable to their brief. And I often say to people, we're not doing that. We are not buying that property. It might be because it's got an obvious compromise and I'm concerned about its growth or the future resale value or, or their ability to sell it if they have to move quickly. But more often than not, it's because they've told me what they need or they've told me why they're selling or why they've sold their other house. And then they go for something with the same fundamental flaw or the same missing element. And yeah. that's not, my job is to, is to challenge them and say no. And I say to everyone, it's the stuff that we say no to that makes our selections good selections. You've, yeah. It's that John West principle, you know, the, the, the fish that you throw away, you know, <laughs> that's really important. Yeah. So it, yeah. it's a role that is, involves a lot of psychology and not in a manipulative way, but in a, um, in a partnership way. If someone wants a relationship, it has to be collaborative. Trust has to be there. They have to be able to question me as well. I want someone to feel completely free to say, Kate, I'm, I'm not comfortable or I don't like this one or why did you choose that or why didn't you show me this? That's totally that's a good thing. You've yep. got to be able to question your advocate and know that you're in a safe space to do so. Yeah, yeah, well said. Kate, we're having a few internet difficulties, but we'll just push through. So I'm sorry if I'm chopping up or, or you're all. chopping up. Oh. Um, Tell me, and, and this might, might lead into a personal experience that you and I had together and, and you were touching on it earlier, but what do you think are some of the keys to a good advocate and agent relationship? Obviously, it's important for both sides of the fence to um, get along and, and have some mutual respect uh, in a professional sense for one another. At the end of the day, uh, both are trying to achieve a, a fair and reasonable outcome for their client, and, and that can be based on a variety of, of factors, but... Um, uh, as one of the best advocates in the game, what, what would you say, uh, say two or three of the most important factors that will establish a good long-term advocate-agent relationship? Oh, I love this question. Um, the first one is, is be prepared to stand in their shoes and, and let them stand in your shoes. And the best way to get in someone's shoes is to understand a bit about the shoes. So I might say to you, um, how do you think your vendor will react to, to this offer? I'm not saying is it high enough or low enough. You might need to sit down with them and present it carefully. They might need to um, on a contract straight up, which I think is always the right way to do it. But sometimes agents need to talk about the concept of an offer first. They need to understand what sort of time frame is around that offer. 
if if the vendor will respond well to a, a time stamped offer because they need to make a quick decision and that might just be the thing that gets them moving great but if if they're having a hard time getting together or if they genuinely need a few days to talk it out or they've got other stakeholders in the family the dumbest thing I could do is time stamp it and, you know, hold a gun at your head and, and yep. stamp my feet and try yep. and push it through quickly. Yep. I need to understand who else is in the game and how you're going to deal with them. And that, that's just a question. So yep. I think, you know, in, in answer to, to your former question, the first one is be prepared to ask some questions and not, not difficult questions, just how are you going to play it? What's your style? How will you deal with competitive offers if that arises? The next thing is being prepared to... To have a firm push back on price, if you believe, you know, in a particular value or you're wanting to do the best for your client, you're not there to get blood from a stone or to, to leave, you know, a trail of destruction, but you are there to get a, a great deal for your side because I know a good agent will be getting in the ring with the gloves on, having an out with me, and then when the fight's over and the price is decided on, we shake hands. And, and that's a, a fair and respectful fight. But sometimes you can sense when you're not aligned on price and it's not about fighting or winning or negotiating. It's actually that the agent might have a different perception of value to, to what I do and I might be missing something or they might be missing something because at the end of the day, we're stepping into value as shoes then and valuations are very subjective. So that's when we have to sit down and say, here are my comparable sales and this particular sale and these two over here, that's what's leaning me to think that anything above X, Y, Z is, is paying a premium and I don't want to pay a premium, which bit am I missing? And you guys might say, well, that, that was a bargain result where we were there at that auction or you're missing the fact that, you know, the overlay or there's an easement across this because at the end of the day, an agent will more likely be expert in their area than the advocate. Yeah. I know Yarraville inside out. I live here. But do I know Yarraville as well as the Yarraville-based agents that only work at Yarraville. I mean, I have to be a market generalist. So you sometimes have to ask the burning question about some comparable sales to, to really get the inside running on what drove that particular result at that time. Because yeah. as I said earlier, you know, you can have an auction a second time and you won't get the same result. Yeah. Yeah, Kathy, it could be a number of factors. So the person who bought one piece of real estate might have had to have bought that particular house because... Uh, their mother-in-law lived in the street, she's 92, she's unwell, and they were willing to pay a premium at that point in time in the market to buy that particular yeah. home, and now it's thrown the comparable sales out of whack. And if you don't know that inside story from an estate agent or from an advocate, it, and you just see it purely on a list on paper as one piece of data, you're going to have a very different opinion as to what something may or may not be worth. Yeah. Um, you, you make a couple of really good points, Kate, and I think it comes back to uh, professional courtesy and communication and also realising that this is never going to be a one deal scenario. You are going to, uh, in two weeks time, you're going to see a new listing on the market and guess who's going to have that listing? It's going to be that same agent yeah. that you just had a pretty tough negotiation with two weeks ago. And by the same token on the other side, guess who's going to be walking through your open for inspection? Hey, it's that advocate that you just uh, got in the ring with to have a bit of fun and, <laughs> And negotiate. So you want to make sure that when you leave that particular negotiation, as you absolutely said, you feel like you've genuinely done the right thing by all parties concerned, but there's a, a healthy level of respect that uh, when you see each other out and about, uh, you've got a friendly professional courtesy that's going to continue for, for many years to come. There's something about a hard negotiation that I always have to 
bring back to, to people's you know, mindsets, including my staff. And, and that is once the property is purchased, if it's the right property and it fits the criteria, the client will always remember how much they loved the property and how overjoyed they were to get it. And, and if they pushed to their limit or if they had a stretch budget and they had to use every bit of it, we've done everything we can to preserve that. But at the end of the day, it was there on the table if they needed it. So if they needed a bit more power to their punch on auction day, it was there. And they never lament that. I've never had someone come back and say, oh, I know that we would have loved to get it for 1.2, but you told us, you know, in the day before auction, if we have to go to 1.23, that's that extra 30 grand is not, not a bad idea. You can still see value. They never say that. They always say, we love our house. We're so glad that you encouraged us to, to go to auction with that budget. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. There's something, uh, there's something nice, Kate, as agents, and, and this can be a misconception that the agent is always setting the price or the agent's got the final say on things like the price guide or the parameters surrounding the sale, and that's, that's not always the case. Often an agent will be chosen to represent the seller because of the relationship they have, but the seller very much wants to dictate what happens from a quote perspective, a price guide perspective, and, and a reserve price perspective. Yeah. And, and as agents, our job is to is to guide, help, educate, assist in that particular person making the right decision at that point in time. I think there's nothing wrong, though, with, with an agent saying to, uh, to be it a really good buyer that they've got a strong relationship with or, of course, a buyer's advocate. Hey, I've got, I've got a vendor here that's probably gotten a little excited about how things are progressing uh, in terms of the level of uh, anticipated competition coming. And I just want to let you know on the side that this may do a little bit better than uh, uh, anticipated from the get-go. So um, you'd be best off prepping your client that if we do get to auction day, A, there's likely to be some competition and B, this, uh, this auction could be quite competitive. I'm just giving you a yeah. heads up. It's a Absolutely. nice thing to know before you go into it. Yeah, we would be foolish and remiss if we didn't pick up the phone and have a chat to the agent through a campaign. And you know how it goes, I nag you. I tap into you every week and then yep. comes Thursday, you know, when are you seeing your vendors? When's your vendor meeting? You want to know from that pre-auction meeting, what is, what's the, the likely reserve price? You might not, or what agents don't always know. Yep. Uh, because vendors hold the right to, to decide their reserve price before, when the bell rings for the auction day. I mean, it can be that late. They'll have a general idea or they'll know what they're recommending on the balance of the information that they've received throughout the campaign. Agents know what the comparable sales are. Sometimes it's hard to peg a comparable, especially if the property is super rare. But generally they'll know where it could be. But when you've got very unusual market forces and fair to say the last 20 months, we've had crazy headwinds from all directions. I've never seen a market so volatile in such a short space of time. The federal election, we could kind of see that coming. We could see what was driving that. But coronavirus, like no one woke up on New Year's Day in 2020 and said, this year we're going to have a pandemic. It's just taken yeah. us all by storm. Yeah. So you don't know. And it, the onus is on the buyers. And I know a lot of buyers struggle with that conversation. They think the agent will talk in riddles or won't tell them. The more direct the question, the more direct the answer. I generally find that. Do you know what the reserve is? If the answer is no... Do you have a recommendation or do you have a firm idea of where you think the reserves should be or what I can reasonably expect as a buyer? If you're in my shoes, how much would you try and have in your pocket? They're direct questions, yep. closed questions. Yep. 
I think buyers would be surprised to know that agents will give them a hint and it's up to them to take the hint. Yep. But you've got to, you can ask questions like how many groups have you had through? How many people have asked for a contract? How many building inspections have you had? When you've got those questions or even have you had any requests for unusual terms or long settlements? If the agent has had requests for flex to the terms, you know that they've probably got a bidder because no one's going to muck around asking for flex unless they're going to bid. So they're the things that can prep a buyer to understand what the competitive bidding will be like. And if you think there's three or more bidders, you've you've got a contest you need to prep. Yeah, yeah, well done. Kate, sort of an interesting question uh, relating back to to how people uh, make a decision to engage an advocate. As as an estate agent, I think it's... um, it's probably becoming more difficult uh, as legislation gets tighter and what have you to, to prove your worth from a, you know, the reserve was this, we sold it for this, therefore we're the best agent because. Um, yeah. How does a buyer's advocate um, uh, prove their worth to a, to a potential prospect that's considering using an advocate? So if somebody said, Kate, why, why would I employ an advocate? I've been living in the area for, for 20 years. I know the market pretty well. I can probably guess within a couple of, 50 grand, what this property might be worth. Why, why should I engage an advocate? Yeah, it's, that's a very, very good question because I can't demonstrate how much of a discount I got on a property, unless it's really obvious that I got yeah. an absolute steal. Yep. I can direct people to have a look at my gallery page and say, have a look at the types of property that I'm buying and the volume of property that I buy and the breadth of our city and regions that I cover. Um, I think that independent reviews, so like Google reviews, they count for a lot. And I yeah. absolutely pride myself on that. And for every client that's given me a Google review, I, I'm very, very grateful because that, that's a, a superb thing to be able to point to. Yeah. But I, I think referrals from, from people that know what I've done, I get a lot of referral business. Yeah. Um, being able to talk about what you do and show how passionate you are, like, like what we're doing now, yeah. um, that, that does go a long way. And sometimes yeah. people will see me bidding. And if they were impressed with you know, how I, I was confident in an auction or might have taken control of or perceived control of something, I mean, the, the auctioneer is always the person in control. But if, if you're not fearful and you're on, on your game and your bids are really clear and, and people are feeling a little bit intimidated, you've, you've done a good job as a bidder. Yeah. But that's not all we do. What they don't see is all of the behind the scenes analysis, being yeah. spot on with my pricing, um, being able to address all of the, the questions that come up when buyers are scared or yeah. nervous or trying to get their partner on the same page. That, that's the work that's just so intangible and difficult yeah. to explain. So word of mouth is so important. But I think for anyone contemplating a buyer's agent, believe it or not, the, the audience that, that they could definitely talk to, certainly to, to get some really good um, information about a buyer's agent, are the agents, the selling agents. And I, I say to people, you know, I'm not afraid to, to suggest that you chat to agents in the area that you're active in yep. and ask them, you know, what do you think of buyer's agent and who would you recommend or what do you think of Kate? Because the agents do see how hard I work for my clients and they see that I am congenial. You've, you've said that yourself and you have to be because we're all working towards the same thing. We're trying to match two people on a property so that a transaction can be done yep. and both parties are happy. That, that's 100%. what it's all about. 
I, I asked that question, Kate, because uh, I had a lead in, of course. So my, my best mate in the world, and a guy who's like my brother, who uh, has been my best mate for, for 30, uh, 30 plus years, and his wife, two incredibly intelligent, busy, professional people, but no qualms or queries about that. Super good at what they do for a living. Um, Skeptical's too strong of a word, but I don't think in their initial property search that a buyer's advocate was ever really on the agenda. Uh, they probably knew of, of some advocates or what an advocate might do, but initially I think they felt really comfortable and confident that they could find themselves the right family home. Uh, when, I, when I quickly ascertained where they were likely to be looking and what sort of price point they were wanting to play in, yeah. I, me, as a fully fledged listing and selling agent, recommended that you uh, become their buyer's advocate. And I made that recommendation because, well, for a number of reasons, but um, they're two uh, very busy professional people. So they're time poor. So that's one of the factors you mentioned. Uh, they've just had a little bub. So that makes them even more time poor. Mm -hmm. And they wanted some justification on, on what they were buying and where they were buying it. In addition to some of the links and relationships that you have in uh, particularly in your part of town, but you've got great relationships, Kate, all over the state. Um, that could then assist them or show some value in their eventual buying process. And you're able to help them uh, uh, very well. They, they got a good buy and yeah, they're, uh, they're wrapped. We kept them over our side of the bridge. We were never going to let them <laughs> leave us. They were beautiful, really yep. gorgeous clients. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well done, well done. Lastly, uh, from, from me, Kate, and thanks again for giving me a bit of time uh, tonight. What's, um, what are you seeing or anticipating the market's going to look like for the balance of of 2020 from a price perspective? Are there a couple of suburbs or areas in mind that you think you're gonna target as an advocate that you see some growth uh, coming out of or are you more client-based specific uh, on, their recommend, uh, on their requirements rather as to what they're yeah. looking for? Um, awesome questions. First one, I think we will see strong transaction volumes because we've got lots of buyers and we've got lots of sellers and yeah. the buyers are prepped and ready to go they've been following all of our directives getting their finance ready finance is still tricky but the the scrutiny is easing and we know that we've, we've got um potential easing and servicing buffers and credit loosening next year so a formal credit loosening with legislative yeah. changes that will be a game changer and it could trigger a little bit of a run if, if anything i'm moderately nervous about that but i understand the rationale for it we're in a recession and they would like to get us out of that as soon as possible um, we've got record low interest rates and that really is the fundamental driver at the moment because i have a lot of naysayers saying well we've got um really high unemployment and it will only get higher which is true but even when your unemployment is 10% your employment is 90 and if we look at full employment granted it's not 90 but for all of the people that are in full employment who want to buy a house they're pretty revved up and they've got some really strong borrowing capacity and if the number of buyers is greater than the number of sellers that will put a, a price under a force under property prices and we'll see some price movement. I anticipate that we will see price movement and into 2021 and pending how well we kick Corona and, and manage dealing with this virus. Um, I, I believe that we'll continue to see price growth into next year. What is interesting is how the market is, is skewing itself. We've got um, a, a bit of a, a resistance on part of buyers to go for small apartments and they've been a little bit on the nose for a long time but more so now especially little one yeah. betters 
um, boxes in the sky. So I feel for developers because that segment of the market I don't I don't see growth opportunity for. Agree. I'm definitely seeing regional changes, and I know that because my phone goes hot a lot. We've got tree changes wanting from Dalesford to Castlemaine to Bendigo to Ballarat to Geelong to Surf Coast. It's it's quite mad. Okay. <laughs> so, can I pause you there, Kate? Do, do you yeah. think that the do you think that the pandemic and people uh, living through lockdown, homeschooling, uh, pressures on on financial situation, emotional stress, etc., are leading people to think about uh, not to get too uh, too woo woo about this, but uh, people are starting to think about what what's most important to them in life, yeah. and it could be things like uh, living close to grandparents or living close to parents or or having family and friends close by as opposed to career, job, move, live, yeah. etc. Interesting. Uh, not so much the close by. I, I get that you, you'll always get a handful of people saying you want to be closer to the grandies or whatever. Yep. We're seeing a change and people being happy to move further out because of a work from home desire and a work yeah. from home arrangement. They've proven to their bosses that they can be trusted. They've proven to themselves that it can be done, but ideally they'd love to have two living areas or three studies or whatever it might be. We're seeing... Um, that particular change. And in addition, um, people are taking stock of debt levels and saying, I would really love a bit less debt. So if you sell your property in the city and you move to the country and you pocket a little bit and reduce your debt, then for some who can do it, it it feels fantastic. What I will say is this mass exodus that everyone's talking about, it's not happening. There are those of us that still want to stay living in the city and things like this can often be seen as partly a fad. So for some, it will work and they'll stay. For others, they'll do it and say, what on earth, earth was I thinking? It, in it, it might be a fad and there could be a reversal of that decision. So as, as hot as the regions feel right now, it's not sustainable for everybody. And I, I say to so many people, why don't you try before you buy? So think about renting your property out, go and live in wherever it is that you want to be, Woodend, Castlemaine, and rent for a year and try the commute and tell yourself how you feel about being on a train that might be a two-hour trip each way and you could have, you know, train line works or breakdowns or service cancellations because it happens and you need to, it needs to be part of your lifestyle and you need to accept it. Yeah, yeah, it's really good advice, Kate. Do you, um, do, do you miss, uh, do you miss uh, the, the cut and thrust of a public auction? Have you enjoyed yeah. working in the way we've worked in this private one-on-one um, Sarah Wood, who was on uh, on one of these episodes, made a really good point. She said, we feel like we're subcontractors at the moment almost. Where, uh, you know, we, we, it's been so long since I've, I've stood uh, with a team at an auction or a, or a uh, or an open for inspection and you miss that that camaraderie and bouncing off people. Do, do you miss the cut and thrust of, of auction day? Yeah, I do. Very much so. And yeah. there, are, there are pros and cons to everything. I mean, the, the pros to one-on-ones is you get a bit of a chance to chat to the agent because they're not fielding other buyers at the door but you've only got a 10 or 15 minute choppity chop yeah the auction thing is fantastic i mean auction is such an art form and it you you're out in a public space you've got a chance to do your thing and for me that is you know thinking forward about how i'll bid and who i'll be staring at in the crowd and when i'll break down the bidding and whether there are any tactics those things you know your mind's just buzzing it's great it's different on Zoom and some auction platforms 
don't don't even have face to face. You've literally got you know um, just a board up with numbers. It's literally like eBay. There's not a lot of skill in that. You've just got to not miss pressing the button. Yeah. But when when you are like this, it, it is quite powerful, and a lot of buyers um, are terrified of it for the right reasons because yeah. in a public auction scenario I can read body language to a degree but I might be 20 meters away from them so I've got to look out for when they swallow or when their shoulders slump or when they start talking to their partner or you know when when they get that stunned look on their face but on zoom I can see everything yeah and so reading the play when you're up against someone whose face is (laughs) there on your 17 inch screen um that's powerful so there's pros and cons but do I miss the team um, and the fraternity feel absolutely not just my own team and being able to ask each other silly questions all day every day but bumping into the agents and seeing them with their buddies as well it's very very different and yep. you know if we didn't love this and love the people we work with we wouldn't do it yeah spot on spot on Kate you're a marvel you're uh, as I said I don't say it lightly you're one of the best in the game in the advocacy space you've got a huge following of people uh that have done business with you uh, you've got great respect from a lot of agents uh, particularly at marshall white and i know uh, in the in the broader fraternity as well um kate if somebody's looking to employ uh, you as an advocate or maybe pick your brain for a little bit of property advice or even jump on uh, your award-winning podcast where can they go um they can contact me they can just find my website kate bakos i'm kate with a c yep. if they want to ask me any questions just shoot me an email i'd love to answer a question or steer you in the right direction or give you some homework and if you're wanting to tap into some property listening um i i record a podcast with two clever guys in the industry um dave johnson and uh, pete kalizos the academic um, university professor and very clever financial whiz um, and that's called the property planner buyer and professor and i also have um, a website that's more of a, a conversation portal um, called the property diaries and I interview people for a, you know a few a few episodes and have a few mini series there on whatever they do in our exciting industry yeah uh, well done now this will be on iTunes it'll be on Spotify it'll be on Instagram as well um, Kate you're a star I appreciate you giving us some I'm time so on humbled. Good no, on you. thank you Pleasure. Pleasure. We'll speak, sorry. see you Ta-da. later